Good morning, Pines Baptist Church. Man, it is, let me rush to just say what a privilege uh, it is to preach God's word in this place. Uh, Pastor Lewis is a dear friend of mine. Um, we connected through our pastor's uh, prayer breakfast, uh, the Broward Pastor's work, and have gotten to know him over the years. Just a godly man with a heart for Jesus and for the gospel. And so it is a real honor to be here. I'm so thrilled to be able to preach the word of God here in this place. Would you, would you pray with me this morning? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word, Lord God, and just be transformed and shaped and molded by your word. Father, I pray that you would bless this time. God, that your spirit would move. Father, I pray that your word would go where you send it and accomplish that which you please for your glory. Bless all that is said and done here. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, you can, um, if you want, you can go to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And you know, as, as finite creatures, we really don't know what the future has in store, do we? We don't have a crystal ball, we don't, we cannot tell the future, and we don't know what it has in store for us. You know, and I... I know as Christians, we, we understand ultimately that Christ will be triumphant. We, we understand that. And we know that the earth will be filled with the, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what the word says. That's Habakkuk 2.14. But we don't know what kind of joy or devastation is waiting for us day in and day out, month to month, year to year. We, we just don't know what to expect. The news of a seemingly healthy family member suddenly taking ill with lymphoma, or the anger that you feel over an individual that shot your nephew and is still at large, still walking around innocently, which is our case with my family, my nephew, Miles, was shot and killed by his Uber driver. Um, it's been a diff difficult uh, road for us to walk through. And we didn't see that coming. And church, this life that we live, the things that we go through, have the potential to bring our whole world crashing down around us. And we never know when that's going to happen. The, these things are not known by us. The afflictions we experience in this life have that potential to bring it all crashing down. What do we need when those times of suffering and affliction come? We need to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. That's what we need to do. We need to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. And I've entitled this message, A Strengthened Faith in Stressful Times. And the big idea is that since the afflictions we suffer in this life can take such a huge toll on us, we need to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. And so in light of this, there are four observations that I want us to see 
from our text this morning. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Four things I want us to notice. Number one, I want us to notice an urgent concern or the urgent concern. Secondly, I want us to see the pastoral purpose. Thirdly, the sobering reminder. And then finally, the pastoral awareness. The pastoral awareness. And to kind of set this up, in our text this morning, Paul, he is deeply uneasy about the spiritual progress of the church that he was violently torn away from uh, because of his preaching of the gospel, because of his gospel ministry. As a matter of fact, if you look at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, it actually recounts just how Paul was removed from Thessalonica. The word that Paul uses is that he was orphaned. The Greek word is aporphanizo. It means to be taken away from, to be deprived. Paul was removed violently from this church. And as a result of that, he was wondering if the Thessalonians' faith had been compromised due to the extreme affliction and persecution that they were experiencing as followers of Christ. Paul was deeply concerned about that. And so he sends Timothy to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at it together. First Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through five, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. It's the word of the Lord. And so this morning, I want us to see, number one, that urgent, that urgent concern, right? We, we got to see this because what we need to understand is that Paul loved this church. Paul loved the church at Thessalonica, and he was heartbroken at the fact that he had been torn away from them so abruptly. Heartbroken about that. And he and his team had loved them well. They had lived godly lives before them. They had led this church well in exhorting them to walk in holiness before God. We see that in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And Paul also said that this church was his hope and joy and crown of boasting in the presence of Jesus at his coming. <laughs> this church was Paul's glory and joy. And that's what makes the therefore that we find in chapter 3, verse 1, so significant. It's what makes it such a big deal. Paul was very concerned about the Thessalonians and how they were doing in light of his abrupt, violent departure from them. I mean, look at how he says it. Look at, look at verse 1. Look how he describes it. He says, when we could endure it no longer. Paul is saying, when we couldn't put up with it or when we couldn't stand it any longer. Basically, Paul is saying, I was so concerned about how you were doing in your faith 
that I couldn't stand not knowing anymore. I had to know how you were doing. And this is the church that Paul and his team started. Um, he started this church probably around A.D. 49, between A.D. 49 and 51. He wrote the letter to the Thessalonians um, in Corinth after his second missionary journey. But he probably wrote this A.D. 49, 51. He started this church. He loved this church. He had witnessed how the gospel preached had gone out with power and had transformed the lives of the people. In Thessalonica, I mean, Paul had given his life for this church. And this transformation, it was evidenced by how the Thessalonians had actually turned from serving idols to serving the living and true God. As it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, they had, they had had a radical change because the gospel and the grace of Jesus had broken into this church and had transformed this church. And so, of course, after being torn away from them, I mean, Paul was ran out of Thessalonica, chased out of Thessalonica abruptly. And so, of course, he is concerned. Paul was anxious to know if their faith was holding up. How were they doing in light of his absence? How are they doing? Is their faith strong? And this was a real and genuine pastoral concern that Paul had had for this church. It's the same concern we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. And if you know anything about Paul, Paul is no stranger to affliction. Paul is no stranger to adversity. Paul had been through it, uh, left out for sea, uh, left beaten, uh, shipwrecked, in famine, in hunger, in danger from countrymen. If you've read that chapter, you know what Paul has been through. But in this verse, after recounting all of that, Look at what Paul, Paul says this. He says, apart from such external things, like the physical suffering, there is the daily pressure on me of concern. Concern for all the churches. I mean, Paul was willing to be left alone in Athens without Timothy or Silas so that Timothy could go and be with this church at Thessalonica. And Paul's concern for this church had reached a fever pitch and he had to find out how they were doing now i know i can speak for pastor lewis for dj for the pastoral team here at pines baptist church and saying that they have the same concern for you they have the same concern for your faith they have the same desire to see you all grow in the lord that's a, that's a burden, it's a concern, it's a godly concern that they have. It's the same concern I have for my congregation. We want to see our people grow. And we know that the tribulations and trials and afflictions that we go through in this life can be an impediment to our faith. It can be difficult. I like how G.K. Beale, theologian G.K. Beale says it. He says it this way. He says, quote, godly anxiety for others results in helping them grow in faith. A godly anxiety, a godly concern. And that's just it. We want to see that growth. We want to see you all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As 2 Peter 3.18 says. But here's the thing. Friends, growth in Christ 
happens through discipleship and sound teaching, which builds up your faith. It happens through discipleship, meaningful, intentional discipleship, sound teaching, exegesis, looking at the word of God, pulling out of God's word what's there, not reading into it what we want, but pulling out of it what's there and then applying that through discipleship. And it's actually what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. If you want to flip there, Paul says this. He says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? Why did God do this? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is the goal. That is what we want to see. We want to see you equipped and built up. And it's interesting, the word equip here Katartisman, it actually means to bring someone or something to completion. It means to make adequate, to, to furnish completely, to cause to be fully qualified, right? It, it's like you all are your own construction sites. And we as the church, we, we build on each other and we help each other to grow and reach that maturity in Christ. That's the uh, imagery that that word communicates. And the word building up has a similar meaning of bringing something closer to fullness or completion. It has the sense of assisting in the construction of an incomplete building. We are all incomplete buildings. One day we will be glorified. We will be known as we are known. We will see him. We will be like him for we will see him as he is. First John three tells us. But now we're growing in that process and we're equipping one another so that we can deal with ministry, we can deal with life, we can deal with the difficulties and tribulations that will indeed come. This was Paul's concern, right? This is why Christ gifted his church with pastors and teachers, so that you could be built up in your faith. This is what Pastor Lewis this is what the team here want for you. It's what I want for you and for my congregation. This is the concern. And for Paul, this was his concern. A strong faith that could withstand the afflictions that were sure to come. How is your faith this morning? What are you resting on? What is your confidence in this morning? If it's in anything besides the Lord Jesus Christ and his promises and his word, then it will fail. But God's word cannot fail, right? The grass withereth and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We just sang the fact that God is good. And what? His steadfast love, church, endures how long? Forever. It doesn't end. That's what our faith ought to be in. And the trials of this world can sort of deviate our attention and our focus in fixing our eyes on Jesus. And Paul's concern in our text this morning was for the church at Thessalonica. They're going through affliction. They're going through persecution. 
Are their eyes still fixed on Jesus or are they going to shrink back? Are they going to turn around? This was the urgent concern, which leads to my second observation, which is the pastoral purpose. And the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why is Paul sending Timothy to the Thessalonians? Well, we see the answer. Look at verse two. Paul tells us, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Why? To strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And again, don't miss what Paul says about Timothy here, right? Because the idea is, well, you, you, you sent Timothy. You sent your second. Why didn't you come? Now, if you know anything about First Thessalonians, Paul had tried on several occasions to visit this church. And he had wanted to get to them. And he tells us in verse 18 of chapter 2 that he had been hindered by Satan to getting to them. So the Thessalonians probably would have thought, well, he's just sending his second best. But Paul says, no, 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 no. This is our brother and God's literally co-worker. This is no just some run-of-the-mill person. This is a faithful brother in Christ, a co-worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And so we've already seen the concern that Paul had for this church. And as a result of this, he sends Timothy to the Thessalonians. And Paul's focus was on the faith of these believers. Paul literally mentions faith five times in this chapter. Paul's focus was on their faith. You see it there in verse two. I needed to find out about your faith. You see it again in verse five. We wanted to find out about your faith. In verse six, the good news about your faith. We see it again in verse seven, that you are confirmed in your faith. Paul's focus was on their faith. He wanted them to, he wanted to know if their faith was holding, if it was strong. And I agree with one theologian who defines faith here as the foundation of the body of doctrine and their believing response to God in living out that doctrine. Paul wants to make sure that the doctrine is sound, that they're still holding to what they had been taught by Timothy and Silas and Paul when they were there, right? And so, again, Paul mentions faith five times, and it's clear he wanted to make sure that their faith was strong. And this is why he tried on several attempts to physically go and be with them. If you look at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, look at what Paul says. He says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see you. We wanted to come to you. Paul wants to be with this church. Again, Beale says this, he says, quote, Paul's confidence about their faith is part of his assurance in his own victorious faith on the last day. This church was evidence that he had been faithful. It's literally why at the end of chapter two, Paul says, for you are our glory and joy. Right? We will rejoice before the Lord because of your faithfulness, that our work had not been in vain. It had not been for nothing. And so Paul was so uh, moved and, and wanted to get Timothy there. And that was Timothy's mission, to strengthen and encourage these believers. And it's important to note here, church, strengthen here means to establish or make more firm. 
It's the same word Jesus uses in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Remember that passage where Satan is demanding to sift Simon Peter like wheat, right? Which, wow, think about that. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen. There's our word, right? Strengthen your brothers. That's the same word Paul uses to describe Timothy's task in Thessalonica. And so to strengthen them meant to teach them and build them up in their Christian walk. But Paul also said that Timothy was to encourage, to encourage the Thessalonians. And this word means to, to call to one side, to exhort, to comfort, to console. It's the word parakaleo, which is used also to describe the Holy Spirit in his role in John chapter 16, verse 7. The Holy Spirit is our parakletos. He's our, our helper, one call to our side. Timothy was to go and not only teach these believers, but also encourage them, also comfort them. Let them know that the faith that they have is not a fairy tale. It's not fake. It's real. They can rest in it. But why? Why do these believers need to be strengthened and encouraged in their faith? Why would they need that? Look at verse 3. Paul tells us. Paul says, so that. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. That's why. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. And we got to remember that the church at Thessalonica was suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We see it in chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul writes, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. Much tribulation. We see the same thing in chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings. This is a persecuted church. They are going through it. They are being put through persecution by their own countrymen because of the gospel, because of their belief in Jesus. And make no mistake about it. As Christians in this paradigm, in this context, we also are going through persecution. It might be different than what people are experiencing, Christians are experiencing in other places um, on this earth, but it's persecution nonetheless. When you refuse to you, you use a pronoun that uh, they're asking you to use at the job, and if you don't, that could mean your job. The culture wars that we're going through and all of these persecutions that Christians face. Paul knew that this kind of suffering could potentially shake this church's faith, which is exactly what the word disturbed here means. It means to be agitated or shaken or upset. And it carries the idea of giving up on one's belief. You know what? I've had it. This is too much. I can't deal with it. I'm walking away. The afflictions you experience in this life can push you to that point. And that's when you need your faith to be strengthened. That's when you need your faith to be encouraged. And Paul 
was concerned that the afflictions being experienced by this church could potentially cause them to give up on their faith. And that is why they needed that strengthening and encouragement. Well, the same is true for us this morning. We also need that strengthening and that encouragement. When the afflictions we experience in this life, either because of our faith in Christ or because of trying circumstances, when they become overwhelming, what will get us through? How are we going to navigate the difficulties that we experience, the challenges that we experience? What's going to get us through those difficult times? A strengthened and encouraged faith. And I want to ask you this morning, what is it that is causing your faith to be shaken right now? As you think about it in the quietness of this moment, as we are here, we're hearing the words, Lord, the, the, the word of the Lord preached. What is shaking your faith right now? What are you what are you going through right now? Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Maybe dealing with a family member. A difficult uh, spouse, a child, a friend. Maybe it's economical. Maybe it has to do with a job loss or persecution at the job because of your faith, because you're not going to capitulate to the culture. I don't know what it is this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that the only way you will be able to withstand it is through a strengthened faith, which is accomplished through faithful Bible teaching and meaningful discipleship. It is through the encouragement that comes from the body of Christ. Church, you are needy and you are needed. And you never know which one of those you're going to be on, the, on what end of that spectrum you're going to be on. Th that's why us being together as the church is so vitally important. The Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need each other and we're needed by each other. This is the way God designed it. This koinonia that we have, this community that we have, that we share, it's so important. Paul said he tried on several occasions to see. He wanted to be with the church at Thessalonica. And here, what we do here on Sundays, and I know you all on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and throughout the week, you're also having biblical teaching that's going on where you can be encouraged, where you can be prayed for. And you can pray with other people. Church, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea. And when that difficulty comes, when you get that phone call, like I did on that morning, and you can't breathe right, <laughs> you're just completely overwhelmed. And you're wanting to say, God, are, are you seeing this? Are you, are you aware of this? And that's when we need to know that God is on his throne, that God is sovereign, that nothing happens outside of the sovereign plan of God, that God has a purpose in everything that occurs, that God is working out that purpose ultimately for his glory and our good. We need to keep that in mind when we go through these difficult times. And that's exactly why Timothy was in Thessalonica, why he was sent back to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage these people. 
But there's also another reality that we need to see from our text this morning. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse three. Paul says. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So not only does Paul want the Thessalonians to be strengthened and encouraged in their faith when afflictions come, he also says that these afflictions are to be expected. Wow. These afflictions are to be expected. And the word destined here means to be set or determined. Now, the context of our passage is the suffering that these believers are experiencing because they're Christians. And Paul says that the afflictions experienced because of this have been ordained or set by God. They've been ordained or set by God. But why would God do this? Why would God do this? We sang about it earlier. That we are refined through the flames, through the fire. And that's that's why God does this. God does this because experiencing problems or persecution builds character. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It builds perseverance, Romans 5, 3 through 5. And it also builds a sensitivity towards others who also face trouble. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, where there Paul writes that um, he wants to comfort others with the comfort that he himself has received. Why? So that they can be a comfort to other people. So there's a reason, there's a purpose for why God allows us to go through what we go through. I want to read a quote that both challenged and blessed me. It's from theologian Philip Comfort. He says this, he says, quote, Some people turn to God with the hope of escaping suffering on earth. But God doesn't promise that. Instead, he gives us power to grow through our sufferings. Power to grow through our sufferings. And then he goes on, he says, quote, The Christian life involves obedience to Christ despite opposition and hardship. Therefore, we must not resent it when trouble comes, but trust God for strength to remain faithful to him. That, that's tough because the, the health and wellness gospel would have you believe that once you come to Jesus, supernatural increase is coming your way, right? You're going to live your best life now. Everything's going to be awesome. And then people try the Jesus thing and then the haymakers of life hit them. And then they look up at God and say, you've let me down but they've been sold a false bill of goods. They don't understand what truly it means to follow Christ. And that even though it will be difficult, it won't be easy, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That he is with us, even in the midst of our difficulty. And that there is divine power. Paul prayed, he prayed three times, please take this thorn away from me. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Right. My grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm what? Strong. Think about how counterintuitive that is, because the world says, no, no, no. When you're weak, you're weak. But this is an upside down gospel, right? The first shall be uh, wait, 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 the last shall be first. First shall be what? Weak. That's when I'm strong. 
Exactly. Why? So that the power of Jesus can reflect through you. So that people see as you navigate those difficulties, they're saying, what on earth is keeping that person going? How are they able to do that? And it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus living his life through us, through the person of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to go through difficulty. So that when we rest on and lean on God's word, we can have that confidence that God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. And so we've, we've got, even though it's a sobering reminder, we've, we've got to keep this in mind that this is why God does what he does. We've got to trust God for strength to remain faithful to him. And so when the hardships and the afflictions come, we need to understand that God is indeed sovereign over all of them. And he uses them to sanctify us and shape us so that we reflect Christ more and more. Jesus went through afflictions. He was a man of sorrows. He went through the most ignominious death on a cross, suffered. And the Bible says that at no point did Jesus want to give up. We know the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But how does that prayer end? Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, the Bible says, it says that Jesus, when reviled, never reviled back, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's what we need to do. It's tempting to want to revile, to want to get revenge, to want to strike back. When life throws this at you, you want to rage back and, and instead of understanding what God's word says. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. We got to trust that God knows what he's doing. And then we see the, the sobering reminder, which is our third observation, the sobering reminder. Look at verse four. Notice what Paul says in verse four. He says, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, in other words, it happened. We kept telling you it was going to happen and it happened. And the verb that Paul uses here is in the imperfect tense, which means Paul is portraying this action as ongoing. Like we, we kept telling you this. He kept on telling them that suffering and affliction would occur. And he did this because he did not want them to be caught off guard. He didn't want them to be surprised by this. It's like, for example, if I, if I kept telling my son, listen, Son, it's going to be cold tomorrow, all right? It's going to be cold tomorrow. I'm going to need you to go ahead and put a jacket on. It's going to be cold. Make sure you have your jacket on because tomorrow is going to be cold. And I keep telling him this. And then the next day, he goes outside and says, man, I, ca I can't believe how cold it is. And it's like, yeah, I, I kept telling you that. That's why I kept telling you that, so that when you go outside, you're not surprised by it or shocked by it. But instead, you are prepared for it. This is the idea with Paul and his team when they were in Thessalonica. Paul never preached that Christ would make life easy. And nobody knows that better than Paul. 
as we've already said, who faced all kinds of persecution as an apostle and bondservant of Christ. And when he was with the Thessalonians, he explained that as followers of Christ, they too would face persecution. And the Thessalonians could attest to this because they witnessed Paul and his team being run out of Thessalonica. (laughs) They saw it. They understood it. And so Paul repeatedly reminded these new Christians that suffering persecution was to be expected in the Christian life. And church, we need that same reminder. We need that reminder. As believers, we need to be reminded that in this life, we will experience suffering and persecution so that when it comes, we will be what? Prepared with a strengthened faith to deal with it. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will never be persecuted. That's not what it says. Let me read it again. It says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Apostle Peter put it this way. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't don't be surprised by that. That's why Paul kept telling this church that affliction would come. And then, of course, Jesus in John 16, 33, what does Jesus say? In this world, you will have tribulation. Now, hopefully, y'all know how that verse ends, right? Fear not, I have overcome the world. And we hopefully understand that. But the, the point is, as Christians, we don't need to be naive, church. We don't need to be naive about the prospect of suffering for Christ's sake. We need to be aware of it and prepared for it with a strengthened faith. We need to expect it so that when it comes, our faith won't crumble, but we're ready to deal with whatever the Lord has for us. Which leads to my final point. The pastoral awareness. There's a pastoral awareness that we see here in the text. Look at Look at verse five. Paul says. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, which, by the way, that's the second time Paul is saying that, which just emphasizes his deep concern for the church. He had already said it in verse one. He's saying it again in verse five. When I could not stand it any longer. I also sent to find out about your faith. Why? Why is the reason that Paul did this? He tells us, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. That the tempter might have tempted you and our labor in vain. And so we've already seen Satan's activity. I read it in chapter 2, verse 18, right? Of hindering Paul from seeing, physically seeing the Thessalonians. And now Paul refers to Satan as the tempter. The tempter. This is why Paul felt the strong urgency to send Timothy to Thessalonica. This is why Paul wanted to get somebody over there to get a sense of how things were going. He wanted to find out about their faith, not because he was afraid of Satan, but because he was aware of Satan's activity in tempting these new Christians to sort of turn away 
from Christ in order to have an easier life. If I just, if man, believing in Jesus is way too hard. Because I'm believing in Jesus, I'm being persecuted. I'm done. This is, I'm done. And Satan goes, yes, absolutely. Look how hard things are. You need to just walk away from that whole foolishness, that church business. Man, look at all this drama you're going through for Jesus. You, you don't need all that in your life. And this is, this is what Paul is aware of, right? He's aware of Satan's tempting activity and tempting these Christians. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, Paul said in speaking about Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. That word there means stratagems. Too many Christians are playing checkers while the devil's playing chess. The, the devil's for he knows our weakness. He knows how to attack. And, and, and Paul is saying, I needed to send somebody there lest the tempter come by and, and throw them off their game. Get them off of the path of righteousness and, and following Jesus. We are not ignorant, Paul says, of his schemes. Paul was very aware of Satan's methods. But what Paul was not aware of was whether or not Satan's temptations had been successful because he wasn't with them. And this is, again, why he sends Timothy. Because if this, if, if this were to happen, if, if this were to take place, then all of Paul's efforts, all of his gospel ministry, all of the work that he'd put in would have been in vain. It would have been useless. That, that's what he says here in verse 5. He says, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would have been in vain or for nothing. But here's the thing. If all you got to do, and this is what I love about Scripture, all you got to do is look at the very next verse, and you see this huge adversative. It says, but now, in verse 6. The good news is that those things hadn't happened. The tempter hadn't succeeded. They had not been uh, weakened in their faith. As a matter of fact, they had actually been so built up in their faith that they were an encouragement to Paul. If you read the rest of the chapter, Paul is blown away by how much they're walking faithfully for the Lord. Timothy brought back a good report. But as pastors, we are aware of Satan's temptation and how Satan uses temptation as a spiritual tactic against believers. And it's, it's why we need to be grounded in the word of God. By the way, do we recall what happened in Matthew 4? Our Lord and Savior was tempted as well. Satan immediately goes to the weakness. Hadn't eaten in 40 days, 40 nights. No, he's hungry. Why don't you go ahead and turn those stones into bread? And we've, we've got to notice how Jesus deals with that. Jesus doesn't say, you don't know who I am? I can call down light and I can, I can ruin all of this for you. That's not what Jesus does. Three words. It is written. If you're going to defeat Satan, you've got to know Scripture, right? You, you've got to have an awareness of Satan's abilities and his tactics, and you've got to know that how to defeat them. The sword of the Spirit. We understand that Satan uses those tactics and stratagems, and just like Jesus, who is our exemplar, he is our model, he is the tipos, he is the pattern that we're following. Jesus defeats Satan with Scripture. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. 
And two other times, Satan comes and tempts Jesus and Jesus fells him with Scripture. If you are going to endure and get through the difficulties of this world, you're going to need to rest your faith on the solid word of God. And if you are going to endure the temptations that will come, the Bible says we have an adversary who walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And just think about that Christian who's going through a whirlwind of difficulty, the haymakers of life hitting him or her. And now all of a sudden he's falling back and Satan's like, oh, prime time. Let, let, let me let me get him. This is what Paul is aware of. This is what Paul, this is why Paul sends Timothy. And again, we don't always as pastors, we don't always know if Satan's attempts are successful. And that's why having a strengthened faith church is so vitally important and why sound biblical teaching is so vitally important. It's so that we will be able to withstand the onslaught of Satan with his temptations. And I, I love that you all, again, you, you all here at Pines Baptist are very intentional about your discipleship. You have that going on throughout the week. And that's so important to be a part of that. To, to come out to support that, to, to be edified and built up in your faith. You know, I keep hearing this statement in modern evangelicalism of we need to deconstruct our faith. We need to deconstruct our faith. We need to take it apart. Now, if a person's faith is based on false teaching, then yes, those strongholds need to come down for sure. But that's not the faith I'm talking about. The faith I'm talking about is the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. That's the faith that I'm talking about. That faith does not need to be deconstructed. It needs to be strengthened so that when times of persecution and affliction come, and they will, and they will, we will be able to stand firm in faithful obedience, church, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your word. Lord, I don't know what these dear blessed saints are going through in their lives. Some may be close to just walking away. But God, we know that he who began a good work in you is able to complete it and will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that you can be trusted. And so, Father, I pray that they would be strengthened and encouraged in their faith. So when those difficult times come, God, they'll be able to get through. They'll be able to stand tall, resting on a God who loves them, on a God who is good on a God whose steadfast love endures forever. Bless your people, encourage your people, empower your people for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.